is my favorite meat. TYT. I'm your host, Anna Kasparian. Jane Uger is not off today. He'll be joining us in the second segment of the show, which could only mean one thing. I have some election related news to get into, which of course we like to do without Jank, considering the fact that he is still running in the Democratic primary. So it would be a little inappropriate for him to weigh in on election related news. So we're gonna do that at the very top. We've got some news out of Michigan. They are holding their primary and well, the Arab American community is in fact trying to ensure that Biden hears them loud and clear on where they stand on certain issues, including Biden's support for the ongoing Israeli war in Gaza. Later in the show though, we're also gonna talk about Lex Friedman's interview with Tucker Carlson. It was a three hour long conversation and we do have some of the highlights of that conversation ready to go for you guys. So you can hear some of the crazy things that Tucker Carlson had to say. And Quite frankly, a few things that he said that weren't so crazy. So we'll get into all of that in the second segment of the show. We're also gonna give you an update on immigration. We have two high profile candidates, Donald Trump and Joe Biden going to the border on the same day this week. They're gonna visit different parts of the border, but just more theater kids engaging in performative politics. When in reality, there's a real crisis going on. Cities that have been inundated with migrants don't have the resources they need to house these individuals. And we have Biden going to the border. So we'll see if anything comes of that. I would venture to say nothing will come of that, but we'll see, we'll see. But before we get to any of that stuff, I do wanna give you the updates on Michigan. So let's get started. Is there a pathway forward for you with Biden? Oh, absolutely not. You cannot keep killing people with our money and just keep thinking that, oh, we are stupid enough to elect you again because we'll fall in line. We'll forget. How can you, how can, like, this is an insult to me as a voter. Arab and Muslim Americans in Michigan are making their voices loud and clear in regard to their opposition to Joe Biden's support for Israel's war on Gaza. In fact, today is the Democratic primary in the state of Michigan and a coalition of Arab Americans is urging Democrats to vote uncommitted to send a strong message to President Biden about his handling of this war on Gaza. Now leading the charge is a woman that you might be familiar with her name is Layla Elabed, who is a Palestinian American activist and also happens to be the sister of Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. The campaign has been dubbed Listen to Michigan. And in 2020, Elabed backed Biden, supported him, probably for the same reasons most Democrats voted for Biden, most independents who voted for Biden, to get rid of Trump. They weren't excited about him, but 
turns out that Biden on this particular issue in regard to Israel has actually been even more disappointing than previously expected. Like many Arab Americans, she feels betrayed by his response to Israel's military campaign in Gaza and the rising civilian death toll, which has already approached 30,000 people in Gaza. Now, Biden would need to curtail US military aid to Israel and also call for a permanent, not a temporary, a permanent ceasefire before she could even consider supporting him in November. So this isn't just about the primary election in Michigan that's taking place today. They are voicing their displeasure with Biden today during the primary election. But if he doesn't change course, they intend to either sit the general election out or maybe vote for a third party candidate. Now, in an effort to send a clear, sharp message to Biden, she's asking Michigan Democrats to vote for, um, to not vote for Biden in the primary. But she also clarifies by saying the following. This is not an anti-Biden campaign, it's a humanitarian vote, it's a protest vote. It is a vote that tells Biden and his administration that we believe in saving lives. Now, since the launch of this campaign, the effort has been endorsed by progressive groups like Our Revolution, as well as more than three dozen current and former state and local leaders, including, of course, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and the state's highest ranking Muslim lawmaker. Now, volunteers have contacted more than 100,000 voters in the state. And before I give you more information about what they're planning on doing, I think it's important to keep in mind that you know when it comes to the swing states, and remember the general election is decided not based on the popular vote, it's based on the electoral college. Biden barely eked out a win in many of the swing states that he needed in order to you know, win the 2020 presidential election. And if you look at Michigan specifically, he won by 154,188 votes. That's not a lot of votes. So we'll see what happens after today's primary. But I think the bigger question is if Biden continues to support everything and anything the far right government of Israel wants to do in Gaza, Will these voters also engage in this protest in the general election? And if they do, it could make all the difference in Michigan, a swing state that Biden absolutely must win in order to be the victor of the general election. Now, volunteers have again contacted more than 100,000 voters of the state to let them know about this campaign, to let them know about their protest. And organizers say they hope at least 10,000 people will vote uncommitted in the Democratic primary, a nod to the 10,700 vote margin that delivered the state to Donald Trump back in 2016. So remember, Trump won Michigan and Hillary Clinton lost Michigan back in 2016. So. They're making a reference to that. Now, in the swing state of Michigan, the Arab American vote is critical for Biden. If they hold out during the general election, it really could make all the difference. Arab and Muslim Americans make up a substantial voting bloc in Michigan, a key battleground state. In 2020, nearly 146,000 Muslim Americans voted in the general election in Michigan. Again, Biden won that state by a little over 150,000 votes, as I shared with you earlier. Still, many Democratic leaders are dismissing the effort, which um, we'll see how that works out for you. I mean, it's just typical Democratic establishment response to any type of protest 
by Democratic voters in regard to what the Democratic Party is carrying out. They're always dismissive. And then when they suffer consequences of that, they lash out and blame everyone else instead of looking within to see what they could have done differently in order to garner more support among Democratic voters. So Lavoria Barnes, who is the chair of the Michigan Democratic Party, said that she was glad Democratic voters are getting involved, okay? But she believed that they would back Biden in November once they're reminded of what's at stake here. So once they get enough of our fear mongering about Trump, then they'll change course. I'll give you her exact quote. Do you want a president who has worked hard to support Michiganders and make their lives easier? I, I, how, how exactly has he done that? Or do you want a president who has frankly supported a Muslim ban? That's the difference and people will choose Joe Biden in November. <laughs> now today, Michigan Representative Debbie Dingell warned Rashida Tlaib against not supporting Biden because you know, Trump bad, orange man bad, Trump is gonna be worse. So you must support the guy who has signed off on the brutality and the atrocities that the far right government of Israel is currently carrying out in Gaza. Let's watch. I have a different perspective than some. I'm glad we're talking about it now and not on October 15th. I also say to my colleague who I talk to all the time, you do not want Donald Trump to be president. If Hamas had done this under a Trump presidency, I'm not sure that he wouldn't have just knew Gaza to be perfectly frank. So we have very honest, very blunt conversations, but I understand how people are hurting in this community and that they are calling for a ceasefire. So Debbie Dingell floats the notion that Donald Trump would basically start a nuclear war by dropping a nuclear bomb in Gaza. That's the kind of fear mongering that we should be expecting from the Democratic Party as they lash out against voters rather than again, do a little bit of self reflection and maybe question whether it makes sense to have the leader of the Democratic Party, Joe Biden, show unwavering support toward Israel, regardless of how Israel carries out that war in Gaza. Okay, let's see how that works out for you. Because here's something that I know for a fact. People get real tired of the same recycled talking points and fear mongering tactics that we've been getting from the Democratic Party in election cycle after election cycle after election cycle after election cycle. We're not gonna be able to do anything for you guys. Okay, you're gonna be deeply disappointed with us, but the other party's worse. So you must support us. Not exactly the inspiring message that voters are looking forward to. And it loses its effectiveness as that same tactic is used over and over again. Finally, uh, Abbas Alaway, a Democratic strategist and a spokesperson for the Listen to Michigan campaign says, if there is a group of people in the entire country or world who most wants Donald Trump to be as far away from the White House as possible, count me among that group. What our movement is saying to Biden's team is that you are losing Michigan by making your policies synonymous with Netanyahu's. I think it's a good good response because 
This is their way of explaining, listen, we know who Trump is. Okay, so spare me your fear mongering. But how do you account for the fact that Joe Biden, a Democratic president, who has run on being a far more compassionate president, a far more understanding individual, how do you try to make sense of the fact that he is signing off on the atrocities that are being committed by Israel as we speak? How, how are we supposed to feel better about Biden when 30,000 people in Gaza gone already? Likely the death toll is much higher considering the Palestinians who have been trapped under the rubble. The Palestinians who have been trapped under the rubble specifically because they can't dig them out. Okay, Gaza ran out of fuel. They can't use the machinery they need to dig literal corpses out from the rubble. So how do you justify as an Arab American, as a Muslim American, as anyone who really has a conscience, casting a vote for someone who has really failed to push back against Netanyahu and that far right regime in Israel in any way, shape or form? Barely rhetorically, we've heard that Biden has pushed back, but he hasn't pushed back through his actions. He has gone around Congress on two different occasions in order to supply Israel with hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid. Let me ask you something, there's a migrant crisis currently occurring. There are cities across the country, Denver, Chicago, New York. They desperately need resources from the federal government in order to shelter the migrants that are coming into their cities. And I haven't seen Biden go around Congress in order to provide them the aid they need to deal with this crisis. But when it comes to providing aid that Israel needs to carry out their war, Biden has no problem with that. See, this is the thing that bothers me about the Democratic Party. They're under the assumption that they could essentially do whatever they want. Incompetent leadership, total failures when it comes to representing the best interests of Americans, the very people who worked hard to get them elected. The black voters in Chicago who campaigned, canvassed, worked really hard to get out the vote in those two Senate runoff races to ensure that Democrats could control the Senate. They did that with the understanding that Democrats were gonna fight for them and get them a new voting rights bill. But Democrats didn't fight for them at all. And so the message that we keep getting from Democrats is we're gonna keep failing you, but you have no choice but to support us because other guy bad. That message gets super boring after a while. And look, people have consciences, they just do. So if you are an Arab American, if you're Muslim American, if you're a Palestinian American and you're seeing what's happening in Gaza, how do you support the guy who is green lighting what's happening in Gaza? How do Armenians in America, Armenians such as myself, look at what's happening in Gaza, knowing full well what happened to Armenians who were slaughtered by Turks, 1.5 million of them slaughtered by Turks in the Armenian genocide. How am I supposed to then turn around and say, "Oh, I'm going to vote for the guy who greenlit the modern day genocide that's happening. And then I'm going to be bullied by the Democratic Party for refusing to support Biden. I'm the immoral one, the Arab Americans are the immoral ones. Absolute nonsense. If Biden loses and if Democrats lose, they have done this to themselves. Lashing out and blaming the voters is so pathetic.
They could change course right now, but they refuse to do so. So you tell me who's guilty here? The voters who are exercising their freedom of expression and also they're engaging in our democratic process. That's what voting is. Are they the bad guys? Or is it the politicians who refuse to listen to them, who have lost support among Democratic voters? Are they the bad guys? I don't know, ask yourselves. I mean, I get it. I get that people are very scared of Donald Trump. But you can't just keep using Donald Trump as the excuse or the cover that you provide yourself as you fail the American people, as you fail to listen to them and what their concerns are. And while some voters say that there's nothing Biden could do to win them back, others have some clear demands for him. Okay, so let's take a listen to what they want. For you, Biden has a pathway forward. Biden has a pathway forward. And it's not. And what does that look like? That is him calling for a permanent and immediate ceasefire. The straightforward, simple answer for the Biden administration is push for a ceasefire, stop aiding Israel in their war crimes. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you, there are enough people who would be willing to deal with it and vote for the man. It is, in so many words, insane to me to have the Democratic Party and the Biden administration sit here and essentially say, if Trump happens, it's your fault. That's exactly right. If Trump happens, it's your fault, Biden. They're making their voices loud and clear. They're making their concerns loud and clear. And if Biden refuses to change course, it's not like he doesn't know what the polling is. It's not like his campaign hasn't seen what the polling is. Let's take a look. The real clear polling average shows Trump five points ahead of Biden in the general in Michigan. So you guys tell me, because I am curious. Is the Democratic Party genuinely worried about Donald Trump getting elected and dismantling our democracy? Are they really worried about it? Because I don't believe them. I don't believe that they're worried about it. I value our democracy. I value our system of government. I value our institutions, although they need deep reforms. I don't want anyone to dismantle what we have here in the United States. I want someone who reinforces our system of government and makes it better. But the argument that the Democratic Party is worried about Trump getting elected and then destroying this country as we know it seems to be a bunch of BS. Because we see the trajectory for Biden, we see how he's performing right now, not just in Michigan, but in every single swing state based on multiple polls. Sure, Biden did a few good things during his term. And we have covered those stories, we've given him credit for those stories. But when it comes to major things that really, really matter to voters, like, you know, not being the sole country on the international stage that provides cover for Israel and its atrocities in Gaza, Biden can't listen. He, he, there's nothing he can do. So it's his call. Either he changes course or he's very likely gonna lose the election. He knows that, but he refuses to change course. Very likely he's gonna lose the election, very likely that Trump gets elected. And if that's the trajectory, if that's what we have to look forward to, again, are Democrats genuinely worried that Donald Trump is gonna dismantle our democracy? They're not acting like it, that's for sure. Anyway, more power to the voters in Michigan. We'll see how this all plays out. I love the fact that they're organizing and they're making their thoughts and concerns known. And we'll see how it plays out. I'll obviously update you guys on the story as the results come in.
For now, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, Tucker Carlson has a lengthy interview with Lex Friedman. We're gonna show you some of those highlights and have a discussion about what they discussed when we come back. Stop with the questions, celebrate. Uh, welcome back to the Young Turks, Jake Uger, Anna Kasparian with you guys. Anna's got a couple super chats for you. Yes, uh, we've got uh, two very generous super chats uh, that I wanted to read right up at the top. So Drink Your OJ writes in and says, TYT is my news family. I honestly don't know what I would do without the sharp insights, deep research, and yes, sometimes disagreements that keep me both informed and entertained. And I'm not alone, I've spread TYT to my sexagenarian parents and my brother. Uh, thank you so much, and I do appreciate when people write in and talk about how they appreciate the disagreements, because that means that we're having honest, real, genuine conversations without judgment, and that's the way you should do it in a democracy. Uh, History Speaks writes in and says, Anna, we can't talk about US support for Ukraine and Israel in the same breath. Ukraine has a much stronger moral case. It has not killed, maimed, or orphaned tens of thousands of children in 20 weeks in a prison camp after 56 years of occupation. Listen, I've been clear about how I feel about Ukraine. I have never said that we should not support Ukraine. I've never said that we should let Russia do whatever it wants. But when someone's coming at me on Twitter, a European person is coming at me from Twitter about how you Americans need to provide more funding and more military weapons. I'm just, don't, don't come at me demanding that Americans do anything. It, especially if you're a foreigner in another country. Because we pay for so much crap all around the world. Okay, we're, we already spent $100 billion in Ukraine. I'm not against providing more support. But I don't like that treatment of the American taxpayers who are being stretched thin by our own government and by foreign countries and foreign wars that we've been funding. That really gets under my skin. Yeah, and it's uh, the entitlement that gets under my skin. So I hear you on that, and that's right. But also, look, there's a difference in terms of humanitarian assistance. I'm happy to do that throughout the world, but we barely, you know, we we do a tiny amount of that. But the minute we need to send money. Through defense contractors, the gates open up, floodgates open up, hundreds of billions of dollars flow right away. Imagine if we spent that money on humanitarian assistance in ways that would liberate the world and help so many other people. The world would love us. Instead, the defense contractors love the politicians, and that's how this game is played. So let's just keep it real. But we're consistent on all these. And by the way, last piece of consistency if Ukraine had then, the Ukraine has a right to defend itself, right? We all agree. Mm-hmm. If Ukraine started bombing Moscow and killing tens of thousands of civilians, I would say that's a terrible idea and we should stop assisting them. Exactly right. So it's so easy. But when you say it about Israel, how dare you? They have a right to defend themselves by murdering innocent civilians. No, they don't. That's not how it works. Yeah. So History Speaks is very vocal on Israel. And look, all you need to know is we are actually in complete agreement on Israel and Ukraine. It's just someone in Europe coming at American taxpayers for not doing enough, again, really gets under my skin. All right. So let's move on. We've yep. got more news to get to, starting with the conversation that Lex Friedman had with Tucker Carlson. If I had to guess, I would say 
killing Navalny during the Munich Security Conference in the middle of a debate over $60 billion in Ukraine funding? Maybe the Russians are dumb. I didn't get that vibe at all. You know, I just don't, I don't see it, but maybe, you know, maybe they killed him. I mean, they certainly put him in prison, which I'm against. I mean, the United States could also be involved. I don't think we kill people in other countries to affect election outcomes. Oh, wait, no, we do it a lot. Today, Lex Friedman released a three hour long interview that he had conducted with Tucker Carlson in which the former Fox News host implied that Western powers killed Alexei Navalny to push for more Ukraine aid. Now to be fair, you just saw the video for yourselves. Lex Friedman seemed to float the idea that that could be possible and Tucker Carlson seemed to agree that that could be a possibility. Before I get to more on this, Jenk, what are your thoughts? Okay, so first off, US involved, I haven't heard that conspiracy theory before. It makes no sense to me. How the hell did we get into a incredibly isolated Russian prison in the Arctic? What? And no, that's just, I don't, look, right wingers, you actually could easily win elections and take over the country if you just stop doing two things, being needlessly hateful and believing every single conspiracy theory. Like, it's unbelievable. Like anybody could say anything. Oh, I think Kermit the Frog actually killed Navalny on orders from Biden, who's actually Obama. And conservatives would be like, of course, that's exactly right, right? So you know who might have wanted to kill Navalny? Uh, the guy that Navalny was rebelling against, Putin. And whether he did it by dropping a piano on him or whatever he usually does, or the brother had health problems <laughs> because they stuck him in an Arctic prison, right? right? Either way, uh, Putin killed him. And, and why? Because he dared to say something against Putin's government. And that should be, if, if you're a conservative, that should animate you so much against Putin. Here's a guy, you want to talk about freedom of speech and cancel culture? How about when you cancel your political opponents by murdering them? How about you, when somebody says something that is freedom of speech, you put them in a prison where, where they die? So conservatives should despise Putin. Instead, because Tucker Carlson and Trump like him, they're making weirdo conspiracy theories about how we might have killed Putin instead of, I mean, killed Navalny instead of Putin. That's insanity. So yesterday, Tucker made a similar, kind of similar suggestion when he responded to news that Ukrainian intelligence had in fact determined that Navalny died of natural causes. So I'll get to the statement from Ukrainian intel in just a moment, but here's what Tucker Carlson had posted on X. So a CIA backed Ukrainian intel official is now telling us that actually Navalny died of natural causes. You've got to wonder what's going on here. It's pretty obvious. Is so it what's, what's obvious? I, I don't know, but what I do know is that Navalny was imprisoned since early 2021. He was sentenced to 19 years for extremism in a high security prison. I have no doubt that he wasn't treated well in that prison. And the statement coming from Ukraine is as follows. This is from Ukraine's head of defense intelligence. And he said, I may disappoint you, but we know he died from a blood clot. It's more or less confirmed this is not taken from the internet. So look, if you are living in terrible conditions and you're being tortured in a prison, yeah, you might end up having some sort of ailment that ultimately ends up killing you. But the idea that the West killed Navalny as he was imprisoned in a high security Russian prison is ridiculous. 
And that's the other thing, you know, I feel like anytime I make a declaration on this show, I have to provide my work. I have to provide the evidence for why I think that, what's backing up the claim. But what's amazing to me is that when it comes to people like Tucker Carlson, they just float something like that with no evidence to reinforce it or back it up. And people are like, oh yeah, that's probably what happened. Okay, I mean, can I do that then? Can I just make declarations on the show and everyone believes me? No, ironically, the, the extremes can make any declaration they want. And I don't mean just extreme right and sometimes extreme left. I also mean the extreme corporatists, the establishment guys who just say the outrageous things. Like, oh, killing paid family leave is a moderate position. Outrageous, right? And they never have to provide any evidence, any polling, any numbers, any facts. Their, the, their robot army comes in, yes, that's obvious the US killed Navalny. It's, that's the right wing lunatics, etc. right? But if you're a reasonable person, all of the extremes close in on you and go, where's your evidence for being right, huh, huh? And then we provide like, like dozens of data and facts and stats. And they're like, yeah, on the other hand, maybe it's Kermit the Frog. All right, what am I gonna do? Okay, now look guys, the idea that America killed Navalny is a lunatic, lunatic idea. How the hell did we get in the goddamn Arctic prison? It's a penal colony. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Okay, all right, whatever. And right wingers, why are you all of a sudden giant fans of Russia? Where the hell did that come from? Why do you love Russia so much? I don't hate Russia. Whatever. I mean, they. I hate Putin. He's imperialist and he causes wars. But I don't hate Russia, but why do you love Russia all of a sudden? Why are you more loyal to Russia than America? It's so goddamn weird. So Tucker Carlson also shared some of his insights in regard to the interview that he had with Vladimir Putin. You know, the same interview that Putin claimed was a softball interview that he was surprised by. He was expecting some hard hitting questions from a very sharp Tucker Carlson, and that's not what he got. And so here is Tucker Carlson's reflection of that interview. My lawyers before I left, and these are people who work for a big law firm. This is not Bob's law firm. This is one of the biggest law firms in the world said, you're going to get arrested if you do this by the U.S. government on sanctions violations. They put a lot of people on this question, checked a lot of precedent, and I think, and they sent me a 10-page memo on it, and their sincere conclusion was, do not do this. And of course, it made me mad, so I was lecturing on the phone, and I had another call with the head lawyer, and he said, well, look, a lot will depend on the questions that you ask Putin. If you're seen as too nice to him, you could get arrested when you come back. Well, it was a softball interview. And in fact, Tucker Carlson allowed Vladimir Putin to just filibuster. And by the way, Tucker Carlson himself, in the context of this Lex Friedman interview, said he was annoyed with Vladimir Putin filibustering and giving him a history lesson for the first hour of that interview. He himself said it while speaking to Lex Friedman. So after that, softball interview, what happened? Has Tucker Carlson been arrested yet? Yeah, no. So look guys, first of all, he's saying his own lawyers said that he could be arrested. That's not a news story. What is that? That's you just making stuff up. I'm not saying that the lawyers didn't say it, although with Tucker Carlson, anything is possible. He makes up 90% of what he says. But it's not like Biden's lawyers or the Justice Department told him he could be arrested. 
He's having a conversation with his own lawyers. And they're having a theoretical conversation. And look, if you benefit economically from Russia while there are sanctions, there could be legal consequences. Like for example, Dick Cheney should have been arrested when Halliburton made a deal with Iran when there were sanctions back in the day, right? Now in this case though, the kind of questions that you ask is totally irrelevant to the sanctions. So I don't know where the hell they came up with that. But like that, but he makes it sound like the Justice Department and the deep state were like, if you don't ask the kind of questions we want, we're gonna arrest you. Except none of that is true. It's his own lawyers. That's a st- the thing about softball questions is a standard that is completely fictional, made up, has nothing to do with sanctions. But his, I guarantee you his followers will believe it 100% and believe that it was a deep state, even though, he, as Anna said, he's not arrested. Guys, there was a time in America where the State Department would carry, the Pentagon would orchestrate and carry out coups in, you know, Latin American countries, for instance, or in Iran. Like there was a time when the government engaged in all sorts of unsavory schemes across the globe. That's definitely true, okay? That's not the government we have today. How does anyone look at the, like honestly, I don't think the current federal government is even competent enough to carry out a coup. I mean, they tried multiple times in Venezuela and failed, failed. And like the way, like the, some of the MAGA Republicans, quite honestly, talk about the federal government makes me think, oh my God, they're asleep at the wheel. They don't understand just how incompetent the federal government is. They can't yeah, get totally. anything straight. They can't get anything straight. And you guys think that they're like, they're wiretapping you and they're scheming and they're planning on throwing Tucker Carlson in prison for talking to Vladimir Putin? Really? Yeah. Come on. I mean, they, like, look, man, I interviewed the CIA agent a long time ago, about nearly 10 years ago. It was a really amazing interview. She told me about honeypot schemes and stuff and how they trick their targets into thinking that they're going to get a sexual relationship. Like, it was an amazing, very candid interview. And she's like, look, what this whole thing, and that, that deep state stuff on the right wing hadn't started yet. She's like, the number one problem with the CIA is they've become bureaucrats and half of them sleep under their desk and during lunch. Half of them is an exaggeration, but she said she's literally saw that at the CIA. They're just mid-level bureaucrats. You guys think that they're like dun, 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 and they're doing all this crazy stuff. They're barely doing anything. So all this stuff used to exist and was aimed 98% against the left wing. Right now, the right wing thinks when it just when it doesn't exist anymore, and there's regular law enforcement against the right wing. They're like, how dare law enforcement also apply to us? And so they're outraged. I'm so sick of their conspiracy theories. They take things that were legitimate and they pervert them, and then they leave totally legitimate critique of Biden, the Democrats, the American government, and don't touch it. So, for example. The problem isn't the American government going after Tucker Carlson. The problem is the American government going after Edward Snowden and yeah. Julian Assange and uh, Chelsea Manning. But did Tucker Carlson talk about that? Yes, he did actually. Okay. Believe it or not, uh, specifically Edward Snowden. Which but we'll you know, Snowden is in Russia. Did he no, try yes, to see him? Yes. Okay. So you, he's about to talk about that in the next okay. clip. Let's watch. That I was being surveilled by the U.S. government, intensely surveilled by the U.S. government, and this came out. They admitted it. The NSA admitted it a couple of years ago that they were up in my Signal account. And then they leaked it to the New York Times. They did that again before I left. And I know that because two New York Times reporters, one of whom I actually like a lot, uh, 
said, oh, you're going and called other people. Oh, he's going to interview Putin. I hadn't told anybody that, like anybody, like my wife, two producers, that's it. So they got that from the government. Then I'm over there. And of course, I want to see Snowden. And he just said, respectfully, I'd rather not anyone know that we met. Great. The only reason I'm telling you this is because, and I didn't tell anybody and I didn't text it to anybody. Okay. Except him. Mm-hmm. Semaphore. Semaphore. Um, runs this piece saying, report, reporting information they got from the U.S. intel agencies leaking against me using my money in my name in a supposedly free country. They run this piece saying I'd met with Snowden like it was a crime or something. So in the interview, he makes it pretty clear that he feels that the way Snowden was treated was unfair. He seems supportive of uh, Snowden and he met with Snowden while he was in Russia. And he's alleging that he specifically avoided telling a soul that he was going to meet with Snowden. And then somehow Semaphore found out about it and reported on it. He's alleging that the intelligence community has been monitoring him and leaked that information to Semaphore. Obviously, we have no evidence and he's shown no evidence to back that up. But nonetheless, that's what he's saying. Yeah, so guys, look, number one, Tucker Carlson has no credibility. None, right? He makes up insane conspiracy theories. When he was on Fox News, he did that crazy documentary about if you suntan your testicles, that it'll make you smarter. Whatever the hell insanity it was. That's true, Cenk, but hold on, hold on, I gotta jump in. I do think that it is plausible that the intelligence community is spying on Tucker Carlson. No, I know, so let me finish the sentence. Okay. So is it plausible that Snowden is being monitored by US intelligence? Of course! Of course it is, right? And they have a huge target on his back. So they might have intercepted him because they're surveilling Snowden, not Tucker Carlson. And so, but when he talks about how he's like this big enemy of the state, etc., he has no credibility. So he could, it could be true. It could be that he's 100% making it up as he does half the time. But the most important part is, so now big defender of Edward Snowden. So were you all over Trump when he didn't get Snowden back? Because Trump, when he was president, could have pardoned Snowden instantly. And Julian Assange, you know, but and, he wanted to extradite Julian Assange back to the United States to prosecute him. That's right, and Obama for all of his huge problems in this area, and he's got massive problems. But at least at the end, he let Manning go, right? So he should have let Snowden go, etc. Now, Trump not held accountable for any of that. Meanwhile, Trump pardoned tons of white collar criminals who were his buddies. You committed some sort of fraud, Trump was gonna pardon you, right? But oh golly gee, couldn't get to Snowden and Assange. And have is the right wing tearing his face off over that? No, because if, if Trump does it, then they're dogs to Trump. Do you have any principles or no? So don't talk to me about Edward Snowden if you never said anything. Look, look at us, we said it against Obama, we said it against Trump, we're saying it against Biden. That's called honesty, that's called principles. I never see it from right wing hosts. When it when it's Trump, they're like, oh yeah, <laughs> oh, Snowden sucks. Who, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Don't question Trump. Don't question Trump. When it's Biden, okay, I can't believe what he's doing to Snowden. Get the f out of here. You guys never mean a goddamn thing. All right, I'm sure more uh, moments from that interview uh, we'll, we'll talk about later. But we got to move on. We got to move on to other news of the day. So uh, when we come back from the break. I want to get into an update on possible ceasefire agreements between Hamas and Israel. Seems that they have a completely different idea of a ceasefire and how imminent it is compared to what Biden is telling the press. So we've got an update on that and more coming up, don't miss it.
Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. Jank, Anna, and a ton of American heroes. New members are Yasser Fatal. Here's Johnny Cornessa, French Whiskers, and Michael Fork. They all hit the join button below and became American heroes. Seriously, guys, you help to get honest reporting out there, and we try to fight for positive change. Every Young Turks member is a part of that. And let me do shout outs for all the people who gifted membership. Drink Your OJ gifted 10, Meg L gifted 5, Melody Loves Music gifted 10, Box gifted 1, Progressive Moves gifted 1, Chris Birch gifted 5, Tough Nut gifted 1. Shigaru gifted five, Rick Bungle gifted one, and Chaplain Fred gifted 20. You guys are all amazing. We love you guys, and we love that you're part of our family. Anna. All right, let's get to our next story. Well, I hope by the beginning of the weekend, I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. Spoiler alert, they're not close. So I'll get to the statements from Israel and Hamas in just a moment. But President Biden is under the impression that there will be a ceasefire in Gaza within a week in exchange for around 100 hostages who have been held captive by Hamas in the Gaza Strip since October 7th. Now the president delivered these comments spontaneously as you can tell. I mean, he's at an ice cream shop eating an ice cream cone. In response to questions during a visit at this ice cream shop after taping a segment on Seth Meyers late night talk show. Now Israel's war cabinet over the weekend approved the broad terms of a deal that would involve a six week truce for the release of about 40 hostages. An Israeli delegation is expected to meet in Qatar with intermediaries from the United States, Egypt and Qatar. Now, an agreement for a lengthy ceasefire, time to start with the beginning of the Muslim holy month of Ramadan next week, would halt the Israeli bombardment in Gaza, which has killed more than 30,000 people at this point. It could also provide an opening for more humanitarian aid to flow into the Gaza Strip. At this point, humanitarian aid has kind of come to a grinding halt as a result of UNRWA being unfunded following Israel's unfounded allegations that staffers from UNRWA engaged in the atrocities on October 7th and that about 10% of UNRWA staffers have affiliations with Hamas. Again, none of that has been proven to be true and Israel has failed to provide a shred of evidence to back up those claims. Now, Biden said a halt in hostilities could open the door to a broader realignment in the region with Arab states like Saudi Arabia recognizing Israel. But he also pulled back a bit by describing a so-called two-state solution in which Palestinians would get a nation of their own as more of a long-term goal, not really a priority at the moment. He says, if we can get that temporary ceasefire, we're going to be able to move in a direction where we can change the dynamic and not have a and not have a two-state solution immediately, but a process, a process, if you will, to get to a two-state solution, a process to guarantee Israel's security and the independence of the Palestinians. And it appears that Biden is accepting Israel's empty promises on evacuations on the border town of Rafah because 
Rafah is where a million displaced Palestinians are currently sheltering. Israel is planning on doing a ground invasion in Rafah and considering the densely populated region that's even more densely populated at the moment. Far more people are gonna die if Israel carries out the war in that area, similar to how they've carried out the war in other parts of Gaza, which has been a complete and utter disaster for civilians. Biden said, quote, there are too many innocent people that are being killed. And Israel has slowed down the attacks in Rafah. They have to, and they've made a commitment to me. They're going to see to it that there is the ability to evacuate significant portions of Rafah before they go and take out the remainder of Hamas. Unclear how Israel is allegedly gonna help evacuate more than a million Palestinians from a tiny, tiny portion of land in the Gaza Strip. I would almost venture to say that it's complete and utter BS and Israel really has no intention of doing so. But what's also really interesting is both Netanyahu and Hamas have made clear that a ceasefire is not in fact imminent. And Netanyahu said on Sunday that Israeli forces would invade Rafah regardless of any ceasefire and hostage deal. It has to be done, he said, because total victory is our goal and total victory is within reach. But he conceded that if a ceasefire were agreed to, such an operation would be delayed somewhat. Yeah, okay. So, first of all, Biden is likely saying this because of the Michigan primary today. Because both Israel and Hamas immediately afterwards denied that they were close to a deal. I don't know, there's some chance that Biden just totally made it up for political reasons. There's also some chance that he thought, well, they're working on a deal. I hear that maybe there'll be one. And I should say it the day before the Michigan primary, where a lot of Arab and Muslim Americans vote, Mm -hmm. because that'll help me seem like I'm getting to a peace solution. But if you, okay, so that's point one. Point two, and and remember, Israel and Hamas both say it's not true. We're not close. Okay, so whether he made it up or he's wrong, it doesn't really matter because it's not true. Can I just jump in? So the sticking point is Hamas is saying, no, 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 no temporary ceasefire. We want a permanent ceasefire. And Netanyahu has responded to that by saying that their ask is delusional. So there's been no movement on that. Yeah, and and. and his ask is that everyone in Hamas kill themselves. Also delusional. Okay, so we're both we're at a delusional impasse. Exactly. Okay, so oh, I'm going to kill everyone in Hamas. Are you? Are you? And John Stewart did a brilliant job of calling that out the just last night and saying that's totally delusional. So okay, now the other two points that are so important. Biden says, look at the details of what he says. We're gonna have Israel move out a million people from Rafah, and then Israel's gonna attack Rafah. So where's the ceasefire? What are you talking about? So, and how are you gonna move a million people? So this is your great peace plan? You're gonna let Israel continue the ethnic cleansing. But Rafah is the last part of Gaza that they got squeezed into. Exactly. What do you want? Do you want them to go back up north? What kind of lunatic statement is this? And do we have any reporters in this country? When he makes that statement, you gotta ask him, where are they gonna move the million people? And when does Israel re-engage the slaughter? And and do they and then when they move the million people, if that's even a plan, I think that I don't even think that it's that it's an actual plan. But if they did, then do you have a guarantee that though wherever they go will not be bombed? Because in the beginning, they said, go to the south, we won't bomb it, then they bombed the south. Then they said, go to Rafa, and we won't bomb it, and then they bombed Rafa. 
This look, Biden is either a giant, giant liar, or he's just trying to make excuses for Israel. And he says it openly. I mean, he said it the other night. He said, I'm a Zionist. He's super proud of it. And look, I don't care about Zionism and what people call themselves, okay? But he's basically saying, I am doing Israel's bidding. He's not a fair arbiter. He's not helping Palestinians at all. Anyone pretending that Joe Biden is helping Palestinians even 1% is a giant liar and a propagandist. Okay, so then the second part is, he says, a process towards two-state solution. Okay, so you see what he just did? He moved the peace deal backwards. America used to be definitely in favor of a two-state solution. Now Biden's saying, no, it is not definite. In fact, we are not in favor of a two-state solution now. We're in favor of a process that delays the two-state solution. So Biden has made the situation worse, definitively. And meanwhile, he says, I'm a Zionist who's gonna send Israel $14 billion so they can bomb the people either in Rafah or as they're leaving Rafah, and we're gonna keep moving them around and keep bombing them. So no, you are not helping peace at all. You're a warmonger, 100% on the side of Netanyahu. All of your BS talk is just yappity yap, other than when you accidentally admit that you're gonna help them ethnically cleanse and commit a genocide and are never gonna get to peace. That's who Joe Biden is. But you must vote for him, because if you don't, Trump is gonna get elected and he's gonna dismantle democracy, except do Democrats actually believe that? Because if they do believe it, would they be running someone as vulnerable as Joe Biden? Yeah. I just don't believe them, Jenk. I don't believe that they genuinely think that Trump is gonna dismantle democracy. I don't I believe don't them. Care. I don't care what the Democrats think, I care what's reality. Trump is 100% not better. Trump hates Muslims so much, he wanted to ban all of us from the country. If there's some chance that Trump would just say, oh yeah, I'm 14 billion, make it 28 billion. Who cares? Who cares? Miriam Adelson gave me money, APAC gave me money, whoever gave me money, murder them all, Trump might say. He's not like he's, it's about, so we're stuck. We're stuck with two awful, awful, warmongering, hateful choices. But the Democrats say you have to lie in favor of Joe Biden to pretend he's the angel. Well, he isn't. He's, he's making this war worse. So anyone who reports that he's in favor of Palestinian rights, flat out lying. Let's take a break. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm so furious with everything that's being carried out by our federal government right now. Not only in regard to what's happening in Gaza, but also the abandonment of major cities across the country that are left to deal with an influx of migrants on their own with no help from the federal government. So when we come back from the break, I'm gonna get into that. We're gonna talk about what's happening in Colorado, in Chicago, in New York City, and what the federal government has failed to do to look out for our fellow Americans. We'll be right back.